0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, But I'm really excited this morning. Um, While physical fitness is really important, we need to look after it. And I know in January it's a big thing that people do Um, trying to lose weight and keep fit and all of that. But I'm excited this morning to start our 16 weeks on prayer. Um, If there was one thing that you would say um, is the most important thing in the Christian faith, some of you would say different things. But um, Jesus actually said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Of all the things that Jesus could have called his house. He said, my house will be called this one thing, a house of prayer for all nations. And so prayer is so good. And that's why I'm really excited to launch our prayer course and can, running alongside the 24-7 prayer course in the life group. And the way it'll work out, there'll be, we, we'll be taking two weeks in each subject, one before the life group and one after the life group, which is really good. So, I'm excited about that. Um, And prayer is something that we all find so easy, don't we? We find it so simple and so easy not. Um, So, here we are. And our aim over the next 16 weeks is just to give you a toolbox, is just to give you a toolbox of different ways to pray, because there are so many different ways to pray. And you'll see them here. This is some of the, or literally all of the subjects that we'll be running through over the next 16 weeks, taking a couple of weeks in each one. Adoration, um, petition, intercession, unanswered prayer, contemplation, listening, and spiritual warfare. So we'll be making our way through that. I tell you, there's a So much meat in this. But this morning, I'm going to start this morning with the famous request that kicked this all off um, when the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11, verse 1, and said simply this. They said, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice the context of all of this. Jesus is praying. They are watching him praying, and something grabs their attention about the way Jesus is praying, and they're saying, we want to pray like this. Teach us to do what you just done, Jesus. And of course, Jesus goes in and um, teaches them a pattern for prayer that um, we have become um, so familiar with as the Lord's Prayer. Now back in 2018, um, it was a very important year for me because I was turning into a new decade. I was turning 60 in 2018, and I was praying as I often do and asking God what He wanted me to do for this decade. And um, and I've I've did this for the last probably four decades. I've I've at the beginning of it I've said, God, what are you what what is the big emphasis? What is it you really want me to do? And I felt the Lord challenge me around. Um, the the great subject of intercession, one that I've been studying now for the last two or three years. And um, just in around that time, 2018, I was walking up church one Sunday morning, just literally minutes before the service would start, start, and Lauren, one of our worship um, leaders here, um, just about the middle door stopped me, and she said to me in her delightful Scottish accent, she said, Phil, I think I have a word for you. And of course, I was all ears And um, I said, right, okay, give it to me. And she said, I I feel like the Lord is asking you to waste time in his presence. And I was a bit, what what does that mean? What does it mean to waste time? And and she went on to elaborate, and she said, I feel like the Lord is saying to you that people outside would look in and say, why is Phil spending so much time doing that? Because they wouldn't understand and it caught me. Um, and it was a word that would actually begin to redirect a, a, phase, a new phase of my life and into a, a new season and a new journey. Now, Henry now, in, in his book, Out of Solitude, um, tells a story in his book. He writes that a carpenter and an apprentice were walking through a large forest when they came upon a tall, huge, sort of ugly, old, beautiful Tree. If you want to know what that means, and the carpenter asked his apprentice, "Do you know why this tree is so tall, and um, so huge, so gnarled, so old, and yet so beautiful?" And the apprentice looked at his master and said, "No, why?" And um, well, the carpenter said, "Because it is thought useless. If it had been useful, it would have been cut down long ago and made into tables or chairs, but..." Um, He said, because it was thought useless, it could grow so tall and so beautiful that you can sit in its shade and relax. Now, and then he says this in his book, he says, consider this, the world says, if you're not making good use of your time, you're useless. If you're not making good use of your time, you're useless. Jesus says, come spend some of that useless time with me. Now, if we think about prayer in, in terms of its useless, usefulness, um, what prayer can do for us, which is often the way we approach prayer. We approach prayer about what we can get out of it, what we really need, what is our to-do list, what are the things that we need to tick off, what are the things that we actually need to really pray for this week when we what spiritual benefits can we gain what insights can we gain what about the divine presence could we actually feel that God cannot easily speak to us when we come all the time in those terms do you ever know someone in your life that every time they contact you you know they're looking something we we all we all know people like that don't we And, um, and if we detach ourselves from the idea of the usefulness of prayer and the results of prayer, we become free to actually waste precious time in the presence of God. And gradually we find that our use, that useless time that the world would say, actually begins to transform us, begins to change everything around us. Prayer is being on busy, with God, instead of being busy with other things. Let me say it again. Prayer is being on busy with God instead of being busy with all other things. Prayer is primarily to do nothing useful or productive in the presence of God. Now, this is interesting stuff, isn't it? Think about it. When we usually go into prayer, we go in because of need, as I say, we go in. What about if we began to go in just for presence? Um, remember when you were courting, remember if you're older like me, remember when you were courting, when you were going out with your girl or with your boy and, and you just wasted time. There was no, you didn't need to fill every moment with, a, with productivity. You didn't, you didn't organize the night and say, right, we'll do this and I'll pick you up at seven and we'll do this and this and this and this. No, you, just, you just spent the night. You didn't, you didn't think about it. You just spent that whole evening together. But as time goes on, we get our productive heads on, and every minute has to count. Every minute has to be for something. And the problem with that is romance dies, and productivity takes over. And many marriages and many relationships break because we just, we just become so skilled in productivity. Most of us will know that I have nine grandchildren and when they were a little younger, especially every time I would visit, the girls would um, make me sit in the chair and I tell this story often because I love it and they, they, they would deliver my order. They would come from their little play kitchen and they would come with a cup and a plate and they would ask me what I'd like and I'd say, well, I love a cup of tea and I'd I love a, a nice juicy burger and they would come with their empty plate and their empty cup, and they would deliver it to me, and and there it was. And of course, I would play along. I would sip my tea, and I would munch my scrumpiest um, burger ever, and I'd watch Maddie and Poppy and Abby and watch their little eyes dance at my approval at the meal that they had prepared for me. All children have this Incredible capacity to imagine—it's what makes their early years so interesting and so surprising and so captivating and so innocent and so wonderful. I was at my daughter's, Amy, yesterday, and her little boy Sam was out playing football in the lawn on his own, and he was he had a red card and a yellow card, and he was given people a a red card, and then he was given somebody a yellow card. I love that. I love the imagination. Sam just. He takes it to a whole new level. He's incredible. And uh, sadly, as we get older, the real concerns of life, like relationships and employment and finances and diet, um, etc., fill our minds, control our hearts, and our ability to imagine actually diminishes. And when it comes to the Christian faith, a, a system centered on surrendering, surrendering your life to a God that you cannot see or touch physically imagination becomes a really important thing, and I love imagination. Let me give you a brief description of it, or a definition of imagination as it pertains to faith. This is what I think it is. Imagination doesn't mean we try to see something that's not real. It's the capacity to see what is real, even though we can't see it with our natural eye. And and to enable us to imagine, God has given us all a dual sight and a dual hearing system where we not only see with physical eyes and physical ears, but we have another set of eyes and ears. The Bible calls them the eyes and ears of the heart. And this is where prayer comes in. God has given us ability to see and to hear the unseen realms, the unseen world of spiritual reality. And just in case you're wondering, if any of this is in the Bible, can I tell you the Bible is full of it? Here's one, just one instance of of Elisha, whenever the king of Syria was coming to arrest him and come to kill him because... God was telling him everything. It tells us in that story that, that God was even telling Elisha what was going on in the king's bedroom. And so he wants to kill this man. And of course, Elisha's servant goes out early in the morning and all the Syrian army is around the house about to come and he comes in in a panic and, and Elisha sort of saying, chill out. And then he prays, he says, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. What did he do? He opened a new realm. He opened a new site. He opened a new system where, where the, the, the servant could see something he'd never seen before. Imagine as we go into this 16-week journey that God would begin to open the eyes and the ears of your heart into new realms that you've never seen before, things that you've never imagined, because that's what he says. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine, because it's according to the power that works in us. That's Ephesians three twenty. And so the Bible's full of this stuff, um, the disciples in the boat, the two in the road to a mess, Mary in the garden. Paul actually said this. Paul said that at this present time, we see through at last darkly. The problem is that sin infects our hearts and, and renders us spiritually dull and deaf and even blind. And so what do we want to do and I'm looking forward to this journey personally for me as well. As we want to go on a journey to enlighten your hearts again, to open the eyes of your faith, to open the ears of your hearts, so you'd hear things that the eyes of our hearts they, they need to see things that they cannot see. So God blesses us with this sort of eye-opening, ear-opening ministry. And it comes through the Holy Spirit because it's by the power that works in us, Paul says to the church in Ephesus in that verse 320. So we see and we hear things. That naturally we can't, we can't do. And um, and this is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I love that. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And of course, we know the opposite's true. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it talks, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, all right? And they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the enemy has blinded the eyes, and our job as the church is to remove those blindfolds, and that's why Alpha is so, so important. And I love the fact that um, it's going to be run twice in the morning and the evening. I just think it'd be so good to run one with your neighbors, with your family. Please, please avail of that because God give us a, a, a prophetic vision of a thousand lives at the beginning of last year, and Alpha is a great tool to see that story. So when it comes to the God-filled life, I need you to know that the devil is the master of counterfeit. He is, uh, shame and guilt are not the real thing. It was in one of Holly's songs this morning. Legalism and policies are not the real thing. Paul says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery. So it's for freedom that Christ has come. And Jesus, the Son of God, did nothing outside of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. He was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit, which provides an example for us to follow in. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence and power to change us into the likeness of Christ and to do his works, and we, we desperately need to be submitted and surrendered to the Father and to the Lordship of the Son in order to be filled with the Spirit, to, be, to, to, to allow his power and his presence to work through us. And so we need to decrease, and he needs to increase, and transformation cannot come without the work of the Spirit in our lives. Otherwise, it's just simply a form of modification behavior sort of thing, and it's not the real thing. I love how Peter puts it in his little epistle in 2 Peter 1, and he says this through his divine power. We may participate in the divine nature. We, we get invited into this stuff. That's why the Lord's Prayer is so important. It starts off by just saying, Our Father. Jesus invites us to, it's, it's, it's unity. He doesn't say, My Father. You can come and pray to My Father. He said, When we come together, we can pray, Our Father. We're invited to, particip- to participate in the divine nature. Now, I've already quoted that verse, so I, uh, um, I, I love it. It's one of my, probably the most favorite verse in all of the Bible that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I remember years ago looking up that little word exceedingly abundantly, and it just simply means um, if you can think of the wildest dream right now, the wildest dream that you could think of, then God's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than what you can even dream. That's the beauty of God. And after the disciples had seen this in Jesus, nothing less would do. They wanted the real thing. They said, Jesus, we want to be able to do what you just done. Teach us to do what you just done. Teach us how to connect to the Father like that there. And when this happened, Jesus went on to teach them a pattern of prayer. And Jesus would see through the long prayers of the religious leaders of the day, he would see there, he could detect the falseness. He could detect just the the systems that they were in. Prayer is intimacy with God. It's the Eden mandate for man to enjoy deep communion. From the beginning, this is what God wanted to do. He was looking to hang out, to to come down and talk to Adam in the cool of the day, walking with God. And the Lord's Prayer begins, as I say, with our father, Abba, Daddy, uh, a welcome into a family framework of entering into conversation. And Jesus modeled a life of intimacy with the Father. He took time to pause. He took time, as others would say, what's he doing away out there? Why is he going away out there early in the morning when everybody needs him in the village? Mark 1 is a prime example of that. He's wasting time out there when he should be here. This is what the world thinks. And so we're called into this relationship. We're called into this time to pause. It is the place where we're reminded of our true identity, sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father we need to spend time in his presence for no other reason not to go and get our needs met there's as we go through the prayers we we'll see that there's times for that there's petitions there's there's supplications we know all that there's intercessions where we intercede for others all vitally important but it needs to start it needs to start out of a place of relationship it needs to start your your if, if, if I I have a marriage certificate. We we, we got married, Lorraine and I got married, and I have a marriage certificate to prove that. But if it was just the certificate, if I could just say, "Here I have the certificate. Here it is," that would be it would be null and void. It comes out of relationship. It comes out of wasting time in each other's presence where you're coming to an evening together and you're not set with an agenda. You're not going to do this and this and this and make sure every moment's spoken for where you're going to do a little hotel break and, and you go and you walk on a beach and you spend hours talking together. Where you, these, are, these are the things that make relationship. And, and it's the same with the Father. It's the exact same with God. And so all of our, all of our needs then are met out of that place of relationship. And so this is why it's important we start here today. Jesus at his baptism, the father's affirmation to this reminds us this. He says, you are my loved son. You're the one I love and I am well pleased. Of all the things, he's about to go into the wilderness to fight the devil. He could have given him a few pointers, but he, he, just, he just said, you're my son and I love you. You're my son and I love you and I'm delighted with you. That's what he told him. And so these are, these are great learning things. And so the journey of prayer is learning how to abide in the presence. That's what John 15's all about, hearing the voice, how to share our lives with him, how to sit in his presence. And the intimacy with God is characterized by worship, hallowed, be your name, holy is your name. So we move from that stillness of rest to adoration and wonder where it's time to rejoice in the presence of God. And we become aware of who he is and we pour out our love and our affection to Jesus and we praise him and we worship. Um, and, and the only natural response to seeing Jesus is just to rejoice in his presence. And we know that prayer and worship flow together. That's one of the things we love about Emmanuel. Emmanuel. One of the things that I love about it it was lovely last Wednesday night we come into the building to do worship and um, Dixie and Al were here and all the rest of us were at home and we were able to flow together and give a little bit more emphasis to worship because the whole Zoom thing maybe has stolen that a little bit and so it was lovely just to try and Um, get a little bit of that back um, on Wednesday night. And so they flow together and they don't need to be separated or put into different compartments. Asking involves bringing our request to him as we ask for our daily bread. John Wesley said that um, uh, prayer is where the action is. I love that. Prayer is where the action is. And as we come into communion with God, as we worship with him, as we align our hearts with the lordship of Jesus, and we partner with God's purposes on earth, we become to that place where we can actually say, God, not our will, but yours, be done. These are all the journeys of prayer that we're going to go on um, over the next four months, which is so exciting. So prayer is the primary way that we partner with God. I suppose I've said all that to say that. the Prayer is the primary way that we partner with God. We speak forth and pray into being the things of his heart. And uh, that's what intercession is all about. And whenever Jesus dialogued with the Father, he said in John 5 that he only ever done the things that the Father actually told him to do. And so we we see that. We just don't pray for things, but we pray things through. If I were to pray for something, if if I was praying for something, I was praying for this table, for instance, I would put my hands on it, I would pray for it. But to pray it through is actually to pick it up and carry it with you where you begin to pray this through. So you carry it through your day. You carry it through your life. You carry it because you want to break through in prayer. That's what intercession is, where you actually begin to carry the thing rather than just praying for it. You carry it and you pray it through. And on and on, we could go with all of these things. Prayer starts and finishes with surrender. All right, we open up our clenched fist in his presence and we just say, God, we're giving it all to you. We yield to your purpose. And um, that's the beauty of it. Um, Jesus showed us the ultimate yielding prayer, didn't he, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, God, if there's any other way that you could do this, God, if there's any other way, Father, that we could see this through, let's, I'm, I'm sure we've exhausted this in eternity past. We've exhausted this conversation, but right now, in the, in the moment, right now, when it's, when it's right stirring me in the face, Father, if there's any other way, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is the most yielding prayer that we could ever pray. That is the prayer of relinquishment right there, the highest form of praise and worship. And so the disciples were saying, Lord, don't teach us how to raise the dead. God, um, don't teach us how to do all your miracles. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do what you just done. Because we know if we could do that, we could do those. If we could do what you just done, then we'd be able to do what you do. That, 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 it was one of those moments, I know sometimes we ridicule the disciples for not getting it, but I think it was one of those unique moments they got it. They just got it. And I've been stirred by the prayers. I call them the ugly prayers, the prayers that... Um, I think they tell us, theologians tell us there's 650 prayers in the Bible. You can pray great prayers like Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, all and on we could go. Nehemiah's prayer is supposed to be the longest prayer in the Bible. Next to it is Solomon's prayer. Next to it is the prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. And um, we've all these great prayers, but then we have the prayers that aren't mentioned. The ones like like Moses prayed on the top of that hill um, when he was praying over the Amalekites where Joshua was fighting in the field. Those prayers that Elijah prayed where nature got changed when he put his head between his knees in 1 Kings 19. Those prayers that Daniel prayed in Daniel 10 that, that changed the whole nation. So you've, you've prayers of Moses that, that uh, totally eliminated an, an army and won a battle. You've prayers like um, Elijah's that changed nature, that brought rain after a seven-year drought. You've prayers like Daniel's that give instruction for a nation for generations to come. And then you've prayers like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would sweat drops of blood where he would cry out to his father and and pray that prayer of relinquishment that we've just talked about. What? And I I became so enamored with these these prayers, and I, I for for. For the last year, I've been saying, God, what did they pray? Teach me to pray like that. Teach me to pray until Moses was exhausted, whether to get him a wee seat to sit down and hold his hands up because he just couldn't hold them on his own anymore. He was exhausted. Elijah, head between his knees, doesn't sound comfortable at all. Um, Daniel, fasting and praying for 21 days waiting in god doesn 't sound wonderful Jesus sweating blood these are the prayers that connected with heaven these are the prayers that changed nature that changed armies that changed the world and we need to learn how to pray these great prayers now um, bring it into the land just one of the one of the great prayers that always um, find I find so wonderful is is in Daniel eleven. And I call this the, the process of Daniel 11, 31, all right? And it sort of corresponds with the with the idea of, of, of Matthew 24 about what's happening in this day and age. And we have this idea that it's in the secret place where presence precedes power and promises, all right? So if we're going to get the power and the promises, what I'm saying to you this morning, you need to get this And Dave's going to take this on next week as well. We need to get into the secret place. There needs to be presence presence before we see power and promises. And I prove that to you here from this passage, all right? It says in, in Daniel eleven thirty one, 31, his armed forces would rise up to desecrate. He's talking prophetically about the day an evil one would come and he would come against the systems of God and he would bring lies and shame and guilt. And he, this is what he's talking about. He's saying this person, this, this demonic force, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the daily sacrifice. They will set up. The abomination that causes desolation With flattery He will corrupt those who have violated the covenant And then this is what he says He says But the people who know their God See the process The people who know their God That word know is the word yada in the Bible It's a very powerful word It's a word of of intimacy It's It's actually the word where we get our word sexual intercourse from That's how intimate it is all right, so it says in in for instance in Genesis four one that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. So you know there's a little bit more than just the knowing, all right? So it's yada, the people who know God intimately. It says, they shall be strong. See the system, see where it comes. And then he says that strength comes out of the knowing. Strength comes out of the yada. And then he says, then, then, when they, when they know, when the yada, when they get intimate with God, when they get into that place of presence, then strength begins to get into their spiritual bones. They begin to get courage and boldness in their life. And then the exploits begin to come. I love that. There's something about it. That word to be strong means to prevail, to harden, to strengthen, to build muscle. And the word exploits means to produce, to have an effect and to press in. What about in 2021 that you got to know God in a whole new way? What about you got got strength to reveal and to harden your muscle And what about we began to see some exploits, some things produced to have effect? Because when we do this, we can do that. When we do the presence, we can do the power. That's the way it comes. That's the system. Now, I finish with this, all right? This is kind of what happened. This is not for the easy or for the weak. But I fear, I sort of fear what happens to the church if we don't move into this. And that's why I'm so excited about the next 16 weeks. Um, this photograph was a photograph taken by um, Kevin Carter. He took it in 1993. I've showed you this before, but it was uh, in a rural part of Sudan in Africa, and uh, Kevin Carter was a photographer, and the United Nations were fighting against famine in Sudan at that particular time. And where this picture was taken, where this t- was taken, in around this encampment, there were around 20 to 25 people dying a day, mostly children of starvation in this encampment. And it was just commonplace in the community at that time. And the story behind the picture is that the, the UN, there was a UN feeding station just almost near where this little girl was. She's a little girl. And um, she was on her way to the feeding station when weakness overcame her, and she paused for breath. break. She just couldn't make it. And she paused just to get rest. And uh, as she was pausing, trying to regain some energy, this vulture in the background landed, detecting the weakness and smelling the, the imminent death reeking from her body. He knew it wouldn't be long, and he would just have to wait on her to die that he might feast. Tragic image. And so Kevin Carter, professional photographer, positioned himself for the perfect picture and he captured it. Did it so well as you can see. He would later win the Pulitzer Prize for this picture. As this picture got famous, obviously the question began to rise. What happened to the little girl? And and that's where it all began to fall apart from. He didn't know. And uh, In his haste to capture the picture, he failed to hang around to see what happened. And applause soon turned to ridicule. And I'm sure there were many other twists and turns in Kevin's story, but ultimately a year after he took that picture, in July 1994, he ended his own life. He never actually said this, but the picture would imply that I just came to take the picture, I didn't come to get involved. Um, I just think it's a really appropriate question for me to ask you this morning as we start this 16 week journey together did you come to take the picture or did you come to get involved because if you just come to get, take the picture it's a sort of a waste of space because prayer is messy prayer is not the status quo You can't just be an observer. I've learned that over 55, 56 years as a believer. And I've learned this in the last probably 12 to 24 months. That I need to learn to waste time in his presence. Because he desires our time. And when we learn how to waste time in his presence. Presence receives power that's the most beautiful thing so I want to pray I hope you I hope you go on this journey with us I hope this changes our lives, changes our church I hope it changes the face of the church and the nation as we learn to be a people of power out of becoming a people of presence so God I ask you that this morning I pray God, that day, that while we have much to pray for and people that we need to pray for and family members that are sick and issues that are going on in our lives that we need to present to you, and God, we're not opposed to that at all, but God, may we not be just the person that every time they come calling that I know you would never think this, but that sometimes when we do it, when we think, oh, wonder what they're looking now. But there would be people that just, ah, oh, they're here. They're here just because they're here. I don't know why you've ever bought a loved one something just because, not for a birthday, not for Christmas, but a bunch of flowers just because it was a Tuesday. <laughs> or a bar of chocolate just because it was Friday and you made it through a week of homeschooling. I don't know, but those are the, those are the most important gifts, aren't they? not the ones because you sort of expect them in your birthday and Christmas and stuff but you know when somebody just gives you something and says "Ah, just thinking about you and hey love you come and hang out so God I pray that that would be our journey into prayer that presence will precede everything else we learn to love you in a whole new way we learn father how to like the little one climbing up into the lap of a dad and knowing their safety and security and knowing that's a place you could sleep and be safe. God, may we feel safe in your presence and may you lead us into this journey together in Jesus' name. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can do. Um, just call our, our, our number or um, look up our email, please, please. We'd love to chat. We'd love to meet even over a Zoom or a FaceTime or whatever way we can just to connect. But, The Lord bless you and um, trust him and let's go on this journey together as we seek his face in prayer. In Jesus' name, bless you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.